What is up? Your host of the most George McCime in the building. I'm here with my cohort in crime. He's got a face for radio. Steve the Animal Mitchell. Hey, what's up, everybody? What's up? Is that uh, 53? Where now SummerSlam has come and gone. And we are still on the gravy train of the disasters, the what-ifs, the kayfabes. All kind of rolled into a very nice heap of, of wrestling nostalgia, if you will. And today we're talking mm. about a man who is... Not so much shrouded in mystery, but why he did what he did is shrouded in mystery. And the man is none other than the incomparable man who I like to say single-handedly saved and destroyed wrestling during the Attitude Era. And that man is Vince Russo. Hmm. Mr. Vince Russo, as I took a sip of my coffee. Yeah, everybody loves to talk Vince Russo. Even Vince Russo loves to talk Vince Russo. Bro. 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 Bro, 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 bro. He sounds like an old reject from the Jersey Shore <laughs> when he talks, but he loves to talk Vince Russo. So what a better way for us to take these what-ifs that we've been doing, these new kayfabe ideas that we've been throwing out the table, our, our perspective, and have a perspective on the man who has perspective on all things himself. And a lot of other people who have had perspective on, oh, yeah. on Vince yeah, Russo. Yeah. Oh, We're, my goodness. We've got a lot people, of juicy clips today. You ask anyone, especially even Jim Gray, especially Jim Cornette, of just what, who is Vince Russo? And it's just flabbergasting of just some of these answers that we end up getting of who this man was, what he did, and how he how he managed to take a, a, a thing called wrestling Rise it up and then tear it right down and did that apparently with every single company he's been in. So now is the day where we get to kind of shed a little perspective for, I believe it's just for, for really our own accord and for anybody who's out there listening, but really for our own accord to really have a, a really nice perspective on who this man really, really was. And then to say we've done it, check it off the list and move on. Exactly. Because we've been going back and forth with, as we always do, we get together, we talk our wrestling ideas, our storylines, the way we want the episodes to be built. And we've toyed with Vince Russo from like day one. Yeah. Even when we were in our early stages where we were just talking Raw and SmackDown for 19 episodes, which are archived, no longer available. Uh, no but, longer available, ladies but and gentlemen. But we, we always toyed with Vince Russo, and I guess maybe we were uh, a little bit um, uh, timid to discuss Vince Russo because it's like, damn, it's like such a big issue. But it's no, no, here at Straight Talk, we are real fans, real talk, real passion. So we're going to talk for real about the thing we love with the utmost passion and talk about the man that you some love and some love to hate. And, yeah. I mean, Jim Cornette can say what he wants to say, but like I said during the Jim Cornette podcast that we did, shut your big fat southern mouth because you're a bigger idiot, in my perspective, than Vince Russo. I, right. I just know that Jim Cornette loves the sound of his own voice as much as Vince Russo. Those two should get just get together and bang because there's so much sexual tension. <laughs> so much sexual tension. Couldn't agree more. Oh, it's brutal. All right, so... We're just going to get into it right now, Vince Russo. No shots fired segment today. There's no need to discuss anything because this is all Vince Russo for the next hour and so. So we're going to get into the early life, the early career, if you will, of Vince Russo. Talk about everything from the beginning to uh, what we perceive to be the end of his uh, professional wrestling career. Yep, uh, and I think I think we're first off, I just well, we're not first off only at this point. What I'd really like to say is uh, just kudos to, to you, George, for everything of putting uh, putting this episode all together. Oh, thank uh, God. The creation of this episode of uh, really, the the ideals behind it of what we really wanted to get 
the point across and how we wanted to get the point across and really what we were talking about today. That's it's just two fans that are literally just sitting around of a lot of stuff that we've talked about for years about uh, the mythologies, if you will, of Vince Russo. So uh, this is absolutely awesome for the day that we finally get to actually shed some light on a lot of these things. And so, yeah, this it's absolutely amazing with all the effort, the research, everything that you put into for this episode today. Oh, thank you very much, sir. All right, Welcome. We'll, we'll get into the early life here. So grew up, we all know this, but just to go over everything again, he grew up in Farmingville, New York. He graduated from the Universi- University of Southern Indiana, uh, also known as Indiana State University in good old Evansville in 83. I was born in 83. 83 was a good year. Uh, I was born in 84, but hey, you know what, 83 in this circumstance, it's a good year. 83 was a good year. <laughs> with uh, he, degra- he graduated with a degree in uh, journalism, so not surprising uh, that... That would this would take his direct path to what led him to it. Um, he also worked on a school newspaper, which was called The Shield. Uh, it's an, and he was an assistant sports editor and later became the editor-in-chief, the big dog, if you will. Russo got to start in wrestling because then when he began training under the tutelage of Johnny Rhodes at Gleason's Gym in good old Brooklyn. He owned two video stores in Long Island, uh, and Russo also hosted his own local radio show from 92 to 93, which he called Vicious Vincent's World of Wrestling, which aired on Sunday nights in Freeport, New York. The program, it ran only for about a year. The final show was on the one-year anniversary of the start of the show. Uh, early life wrestling career, WWF from 1992 to 1999. In 92, he was hired as a freelance writer for the WWF magazine following a letter that he hand-wrote, believe it or not, to Linda McMahon. And he would later become the editor in 94 under the pers- under the uh, personium, if you will, or the persona of Vic Venom. He was eventually promoted to the creative team in 96. The same year, Monday Night Raw hit an all-times rating low of 1.8. Everyone remember that at home because this ties into eventually where we're going with this. Um, to Monday Nitro, which was obviously Raw's chief competition. I.e., this is the start of the Monday Night Wars. Essentially. People think it was 97. It was actually very er, very late in 96 where everything kind of steamrolled. Then we had the Bash at the Beach in 96 where Hogan became the third man. And then it was started. A lot of people think it was 97. It was later half of 96 it was where the Monday Night Wars started. So um, in the midst of the 84-week winning streak, Raw was head-to-head with WCW. And then WCW finally eclipsed uh, WWF. McMahon called upon Russo to make changes in the television product. Russo contributed edgy, controversial storylines involving sexual content, profanity, swerves, or unexpected heel turns, and worked shoots in the storylines. Russo's style of writing came to be known as Crash TV. So he is, um, I guess you'd say, immortalized for that. He kind of brought that in-your-face style from the Attitude Era that we all know and love. Mm -hmm. He was really the brains behind the operation, but he had a filter. And I want to remind people that he had a filter. And the filter was another Vince. Vince. McMahon. <laughs> another Vince, yes, exactly. His, his, uh, Vince, Vince number one, but he's Vince two. Yeah, far exactly. As I was In early '97, Russo became the head writer for WWF or WWE as you know it now. Uh, he wrote their flagship show for he wrote for their flagship show Raw's War, and also for their pay per views. Uh, with angles that he created, Russo had a large hand in putting uh, the WWF ahead of WCW in the ratings during that era. Notably storylines and characters during Russo's run, which include Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Mr. McMahon feud, Undertaker versus Kane feud, the Generation X, the Rise of the Rock, the Mick Foley saga. I mean, there's, the list goes on and on of all the really great storylines that he kind of brought to the table. 
Yeah, big but, hand in a lot of that. But there was also um, some more controversial characters that were kind of created during Russo's run, which include Sable. We all know the hands over the boobs thing. Val Venus with the penis getting cut. And uh, he brought the pimp we all know and love, the Godfather, to the forefront. Yeah. Um, and he was also devised the infamous Brawl for All tournament was his creation as well. In the two years following Russo's promotion to head writer, Ross surpassed WCW in the ratings. So there you go. There's kind of the um, uh, title of our episode. He single-handedly saved the WWE. He was the guy who kind of brought all these newer characters to light, which we now know and love today, and we've all, we all consider legends. Mm-hmm. But wherever they went before, they never really had a fair shake. So I guess you could say Russo was the guy, much like a Paul Heyman, who was able to see that diamond in the rough. He was able to pull through all the crap to see what was underneath, if just given the right opportunity and the right character. So I will give Russo credit on that. Now, 99, he left. And then in September 16th of 1999, him and Ed Ferreira signed with WCW. But I want to play a clip right now where Vince Russo talks about himself. Go figure. And why he left the WWE. Bro, 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 (laughs) bro. I'm going to play this one for about two minutes or so. When you finally did leave WWF in what, 99? Yeah, 99. What, What caused your exit from the company at that time? Well, Steve, it was one thing and it was it was real, real simple. At the time, we just started SmackDown, okay? You know, Ed was writing with me at the time. It was just me and Ed. It was a two-man team, you know? We were never privy to the um, SmackDown conversations going on. We were never asked, do you two guys think you can write another show? You know, never that, you know? So all of a sudden, you know, two weeks before, we're hit with, we're having another, you know, show on Thursday nights. Now you guys are going to have to write two shows. Okay. First of all, there was never an, an increase in money. And, and I don't want to say that was an issue because I think Vince would have given a, a, us an increase in money. I, I don't want to say that. But now, Steve, when you take as much you know, love in the show as I did and you poured everything into it, to now do that over two shows, just emotionally... Physically, mentally, everything was being taken from me, right? right? So, Steve, I, I, I set up a meeting with Vince, and I went into Vince's office, okay? And, you know, once again, bro, I broke down. And I just said, Vince, I, I can't do this anymore. It's, it's way too much. You know, the love and the attention and everything I put into Raw to, to now do this again... I said, I just, I can't do this anymore. And and what happened, you know, Steve, was, and you'll appreciate this, at the time, I was spending every second of every day for Vince. Okay, my wife, who's from Indiana, we were living in Connecticut, she was raising the kids on her own. She was alone. I was never home, right? So I said to Vince, I said, okay, Vince, look, if, if this is the way it's going to be, I said, I like my wife to be able to move my family back to Indiana so my wife can have family there because I'm never home. If I got to fly back and forth on the weekends, that's what I'll do, right? Bro, he looked me dead in the eye, okay? And he said to me, he said, Vince, I don't know what the problem is. I pay you enough money now 
that you should be able to hire a nanny to take care of your kids. Steve, as an Italian guy from New York, when those words came out of his mouth, that was the end. There was no discussion. There was no turning back. When he showed me he cared that little about me and my family, and again, being a proud Italian, when family's everything, it was over. That, that day, I was on the phone with J.J. Dillon. So, I mean, I could play more from there, but that's just it in a nutshell. I don't know what the um, the Italian factor has to do with it. I mean, I think if you're a family man, you're a family man. He's a family man. But, yeah, I'm a, I'm a family man, too. I'm half Italian, but I don't sit there going, I'm a family man because I'm Italian. So, I don't really know what that had to do with it, but we'll just chalk that up to Vince Russo being Vince Russo. I'm, 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 I'm half Irish, so you know something? I, 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 as a half Irishman, that I'm a real family man. I just want to let you know that. <laughs> Oh, well, Vince, uh, Vince uh, apparently had a lot of, of those problems going on, a lot of mentally, emotionally, mental, emotional crashes that were really going on specifically with a lot of, a lot of things that he makes mention of specifically in his book, um, talking about the, the concept of just being around Vince all the time and the fact that like Vince really did grow to become like that kind of a father figure with him, much as the same with uh, like a lot of people. Um, within within the industry that so choose to Steve Austin, but he was talking to you on his podcast, that being one of them of um, very much that father figure and, and really wants to uh, be, become that with him. And so, as far as I was concerned, um, it it just didn't really make any sense when he was really talking about how much he loved being a family man, but at the exact same time, um, put all of his energy and chose to actually put all of his energy into being a writer, into doing all the things that you're you're doing within the industry, and the, and how much money you're actually are getting paid to be able to do that. Um, there's a lot of times where I actually side with Vince McMahon on a lot of times where he tells guys this, where they where, the, where Vince Russo is not the only one that's come in and sat down and been like, I want to go and do what I need to do with my family. I need to be able to do my life. I need to be able to do what I do for my own life when in actuality um, you sign on with Vince McMahon then that's 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 it until your contract is up that's what you're doing and that's how you're portraying your life at that point <laughs> yeah and I also but I, I, I do agree with Russo on one point that's hard for me to say that it's a very, very bitter pill to swallow but I do agree with him if you're going to start up another show to at the time directly compete with WCW's show Thunder um, and you're going to start Smackdown you should probably tell your writing team that there's a new show coming yeah, and that's also the double-edged sword with Vince uh, Mc, McMahon, uh, uh, by the way, because uh, he go, really goes out of his way to kind of just make an idea based off whatever emotion that he's really feeling. It seems to me like he's a very emotional man when it comes to the way that he just kind of comes up with ideas and then just kind of drops it on whoever's around at that time for the idea that needs to be you know taken care of. Well, and everybody that's around usually at that time was Pat Patterson and Jared Briscoe, so while they were underneath Vince McMahon's desk... Uh, he would give them ideas, and because they're yes men, they would say sure. Because it's not them that has to do the legwork, right? <laughs> oh, is that a good idea? Yes, Vince, it is. Let me wipe your ass now. <laughs> yes, Vince. Yes. Yes, Vince. It's so, a great idea. You I also know, your your arms are looking very glossy and, and, and very. You're looking very sexy today, Vince. <clears throat> Just thought I'd let you know that. I also want to play another clip that kind of ties into '99. So, as we all know, May 23rd, 1999, was the sudden and tragic passing of Owen Hart. Uh, we did the pre uh, profile about three weeks ago now. Uh, still available on all our platforms. Uh, go back and listen to that one. Uh, in that one, you'll notice that we did not touch upon Vince Russo. I chose to leave Vince Russo off the table because I wanted to do the profile on Owen Hart. 
not mm-hmm. Owen Hart, and then a segment on Vince Russo. I didn't think it needed to be told. But now that we're doing Vince Russo, it's a perfect time to hear the tape because a lot of people, uh, Martha included in that bunch for a long time, blamed Vince Russo. But I found a clip that a lot of people might have seen and might not know about. I found a clip that Vince Russo actually talking about the events that led up to Owen's passing. I'm going to play this for about the first two minutes. Yes, you will hear a lot of bros. I can't control how he speaks. Mm -hmm. So let's go into this one. Uh, Listen to this clip. This is about Vince Russo on the um, events that led up to uh, May 23rd, 1999. That's it, bro. That that that's that's so absolutely bullshit, man. And bro, I, I get tweets to these days. You killed Owen Hart. To this day, I get tweets about how I killed Owen Hart. How how that happened, bro, is that show was written. It was done. I was in my office. It was probably Thursday night before the pay per view, and I'm 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 just dotting the eyes and crossing the t's, making sure we got everything. My phone rings, and it was our director of operations. The guy's name was Steve Taylor. Steve Taylor had been at the WWE forever. I think he works at MSG now, but um, he was there from the beginning with Vince. And Steve Taylor called me, and he goes to me, he goes, Vince, he goes, the guys who repel Sting are coming to the pay-per-view in Kansas City, and they want to know if there's anything they could do uh, you know, on the show to show us what they can do because they want to work with us. So is there anything on the show that they could do? So at that point, I, got, I literally got the show in front of me. And I said, let me, let me look, let me look, let me look. So I'm looking through the show, I'm looking through the show. I see Owen is the Blue Blazer. So I said, well, Steve, this might be something. I said, Owen's the Blue Blazer. I said, if we repel Owen, like they repel Sting, I said, you know, it'll be it'll be good for Owen. I said it'll give Owen a you know a big star you know type of feel. I said, um, and he was going to win the belt in that match. Yeah, right? I, yeah. I said that'll probably work. So you know, Steve said, you know, great, you know, no problem, you know. So, bro, you know, at, at that point, I don't know who related to Owen. I mean, I don't know how that happened, you know. But I, I, this I do know. That day, at the at the coffee urn. I seen Owen in his jumpsuit, okay? He had already rehearsed it. So Owen was there getting coffee, and I went to Owen. I said, Owen, how did everything go in rehearsal? How was everything? Owen said to me, Vince, you know, everything was cool, no problem. He said, but I, I want to ask, can you make one change for me? I said, what is it, Owen? And he goes, the way you have it written right now, the Godfather goes out first, then I repel down. He said, Vince, it's going to take me a while to get my harness off, he goes, if I'm there trying to get my harness off, why isn't the Godfather pummeling me? He goes, can you just flip the entrances for me? And I said, oh, and that makes all the sense in the world. I said, no problem, we'll flip the entrances, okay? Bro, never at any time did he say, Vince, I'm uncomfortable with this. Vince, I'm afraid of heights. Vince, I didn't feel comfortable doing it. Nothing. Zero. That was not important to the script. That show was written without that repel. That repel was added by request. That was the only reason. If I would have thought for a second, or Owen would have indicated for a second, a fear of heights, a fear of doing it, I feel uncomfortable, whatever, 
it would have never happened. And, 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 and then there are those, you know, J Jim Cornette, you know, people like this like to say this. Well, you know how wrestlers are. If they don't like doing something, they won't tell you because they're afraid, you know, it'll hurt their spot. Well, let me, there's a little history there with Owen and myself as well. And that history was when Owen was with Jeff Jarrett and Deborah, okay, I wanted to write a story of Owen kind of falling in love with Deborah. And the reason I wanted to write it was because Owen was so freaking entertaining. I wanted to see like what Owen would be like in love with, with this beautiful girl that was probably so out of his league. So we were bantering that around. Well, I don't know if I pitched it to Owen. I don't remember. But anyway, at some point, Owen came back to me. And he goes, Vince, he goes, I got to tell you. He goes, I really feel uncomfortable with this. Uh, I, I can't remember. Uh, Martha. He goes, you know, you know, with Martha, I just feel uncomfortable doing this, blah, blah, blah. I don't know how my wife will take it. Right then and there, I said, Owen, no problem. It's not important. We'll do something else. So there was a history of Owen telling me I'm not comfortable with that and me changing it, and it was no big deal that I without a doubt feel if there was an issue with that he would have came to me and said there was an issue because he did it before it was no big deal it wasn't important to the script it had no bearing on the match whatsoever if we would have never done it nobody would have even noticed so i mean there's a little bit more to go on with that clip but I mean, and, and that's that's kind of something we talked about because we did talk about that storyline idea and Owen squashed that right away. He said, no, not going to happen. I'm not doing that. And so if he's not going to do that, uh, why would he do this? And Martha said, I believe there was an interview along the time uh, that where she said that he, 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 he had mentioned to her earlier that day that he was uncomfortable with it. Mm -hmm. If he's going to mention it to her and him and Russo have this relationship why wouldn't he mention to Russo? But it's, it's it's funny. I didn't know it was something added to the script after the fact. And that's something new I learned while doing my research. I didn't know that it was added to the script. The repel was added to the script after the fact. I thought it was already built into the show. Yeah, me too. So, I mean, um, you know, you could go back and forth about a lot of things about it. You can go back and forth and say Vince Russo and Vince McMahon killed Owen Hart. Uh, not the case. Not the case at all. Uh, well... Not at least on, and I, I, I'm firmly going to agree with Vince Russo on that because in that, that's one of the few interviews I've seen of Russo where he's very relaxed and very calm, and he's not defending himself. He's just stating points, and that's probably that's why I wanted to play that clip, shed some light. All the people out there who think that he's indirectly involved, he's not. So, uh, I, I mean, take it as you want to take it. I'm going to take it with the simple fact he's not. He was never involved, and if it was, it was added after the fact, that's something I didn't know. So I learned something. So hopefully I've set, I've shed some light to all those fans out there that thought he was involved and now know the very, very, very different side of things. Sometimes if you wait a couple of years and you let the information, the dust kind of settle and you go back and you look at all the information, yeah. you can kind of piece together your own thought process. And in this particular case, I'm going to clear Vince Russo of that rumor. I don't think he had anything to do with it. I'm going to I'm gonna take his side, which again is a very bitter pill for me to swallow because I, I hate the man with every fiber of my being. But I'm going to take his, I'm going to take his, uh, his uh, backing on that one. He's going to have my, I'm going to have his back on that one and say, uh, 
it was added after the fact and we heard it from his own mouth so if you want to believe the truth sometimes you've got to look behind the glass yeah and that's what i think i think vince russo did a very good job in that clip of pulling back the curtain and, and shedding some light on a very very dark moment in wrestling history for sure oh i totally agree i think that uh, i think that cleared vince in terms of uh in, in terms of uh, the proper understanding of what actually went down that night, um, the only question that I do have, because I'm just, I'm just a man that loves to question things. Um, no, not you. Only... Not you. Yeah, right? not, 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 not Steve. A, not at all. This is just one question I have. Out one question. Like, okay, go out ahead. Of, out, of, out, of, out of any more that I would possibly have. But uh, the only question that I do have is, um, why was the show written? And then, apparently the man working for, who repels the guy from the other company is just calling up to wonder if there's anything he can do to help. And then that's when Vince starts going through the script and going, oh, there's the blue blazer here. You could help him. And like, that's where that whole thing came from. Why did that happen? And when did that, like, that's just my question. And I know there's no definitive answer. It's kind of a rhetorical question, really. Yeah, but I, I can't give you an answer on that one. No, there's nobody that can really give me an answer. Well, on there is, Vince McMahon, but he's not taking our calls. Exactly. <laughs> and therefore, why would you want to answer my stupid question anyway? But more of the fact that it's just, that's that's the only question that I really do have based off of just what I listen to is the fact of just like, okay, so that's really strange. Then the guy from the other company is calling up all of a sudden just kind of wondering if there's any help that he can lend to a show that's already been written. And, well, uh, well, there could and, have been there could have been a, an idea of hey, you know what? If I'm already dipping in this honey pot, maybe I can get some side action in this one as well. And so, maybe that's the maybe that's the way that those the, those I, things I, go. And I, the I contracts think, actually work through that subcontraction with with those companies of the fact that they just this like anybody else who well, needs hey, work and hey, call yeah, up and you may, look for may, work. Maybe the guy's like, hey, listen, WCW seems to love our work. Maybe uh, we can do something with WWE. Maybe I can dip into both both sides of the pool here. Exactly. So, I, 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 I mean, we can go down that rabbit hole, but... Just just out of my own curiosity of, like, how many times have the, has that actually ever really occurred of just, you know, that, that phone call of Probably just, more than you would think, man. I and, really want to say more than you would think. And maybe that there's actually, there's there's a pretty good chance that that's actually the way that that, when, when I'm really kind of piecing it together right now, just a, just a really interesting topic of, of question and just conversation of just wondering what that what that would, uh, would entail as far as how many how many times that has actually transpired um, but however um, getting back to the actual um, the, the actual task at hand of what it is that is Vince Russo and mm-hmm. uh, he's he really like he from what I listen to and what I, whenever I hear him in clips and I hear him talking that's not the first time either that I've, I've, I've listened to him on, sh- on a shoot and he's been really uh, calm really uh, Really seems very genuine and very sincere in his answer giving. Um, just seems to me like he just got a really unbelievable bad rap because of uh, Jim Cornette and a lot of people just loving to go listen to Jim Cornette and loving to listen to him rant about um, the, this guy named Vince Russo that he absolutely loathes because he just doesn't understand wrestling nearly as much, if not anything, compared to what it is to be a wrestling addict that is a guy like Jim Cornette. So. Yeah. As yeah. far as I'm concerned, I feel like a lot of rumor, a lot of innuendo just kind of got uh, brought up through a lot of that. And as far as I'm concerned, um, just listening to him talk in the same old Vince Russo that I'm used to hearing him talk in a shoot interview seems very much so that he's being very sincere in what he's talking about. Yeah, and that one clip, I will have to say, like I said, I have his back in that one clip. And, and I have no love lost for Jim Cornette. So every time I hear anybody talk about Jim Cornette, the first line that pops in my mouth is, shut your big fat southern mouth. 
Right? <laughs> I hate I hate you. I, I really I really dislike you as a person. If I ever but, have however, the ability to meet Jim Cornette. Yeah, I mean you take away all the you take away all the crap that Jim Cornette throws out, the endless spray of words without a breath yeah. taken. When you hear sincere, you hear sincere. You know when the guy's telling the truth and you know when the guy's just going on a rant just for the sake of just like I'm just going off emotion. This is this, this is rant, emotion. This rant will this get me fact. another hundred thousand listeners and get me another three bucks a pop and I'll make another crap ton of money. Exactly. So half the time when Jim Cornette's ranting He's ranting to make money. He's not ranting to make sense. But in that one clip there, I will say, I'm going to take Russo's side on that. Me too. If we have to pick a side, I'm going to go with Russo on that. So Me too. I'm, I'm clearing officially in my life, I'm clearing Vince Russo of any wrongdoing when it comes to my all-time favorite, Owen Hart. So, right on. You hear that, Vince? You're clear. You're clear from you're clear from the host, <laughs> which doesn't hold a whole lot of clout, but you're clear. So um, I do want to play one more clip before we get into uh, the WCW stuff, and then we'll finish off with kind of a little bit of Vince Russo's post-WCW career. But I do want to play one clip. This is, again, Vince Russo talking about his favorite subject, Vince Russo. And this is him uh, discussing uh, misconceptions of his career, and one of the biggest misconceptions being that he always challenged Vince McMahon. This is a very long clip. I'm only going to play probably the first... Two, two and a half, three minutes. So, um, just got to cue it up here. And then, yeah, we'll play this here. Hang on here. There we go. Not important to me. I don't know why I did that. You know, you know what part of the misconception is about me? And, and bro, listen, I, I'm not saying this to be braggadocious. I, I'm really, bro, braggadocious. I, I don't have any ego. Like, I don't, I don't give a crap. I, that, that stuff is not important to me. But, bro, like, I wrote for characters long enough to know what gets the character over. And at the end of the day, here's what gets the character over. This, this is what gets them over. You've got to sit down with somebody. I don't care who the talent is. Bro, I work for a little indie promotion here. I don't want to say I work for them. I mean, I work with them. I try to help them out. And I still do the same thing to this day. Okay, bro? Every talent I've ever written you got to sit down with them, and you got to have that first initial conversation with them. I mean, bro, I did this with Edge. I did it with Christian. I did it with Valvina. I mean, you name it. Every single guy. And, and what you're looking for, bro, is you're trying to get to the heart of them. You know, who are they? Um, you, know, you know, how are they made up? What's important to them? Um, you know, what, what do they hang their hat on? What do they take great pride in? What separates them from everybody else? Then, bro, once you find that little nugget, you take that because it's unique to them, and you multiply it a million times over. Now, bro, here's the reason why you do that. These guys are wrestlers. They're not actors. They're going to wrestling school. They're not going to acting school. So basically, you've got to find something in them that's very real. So when they go out and they portray that, you magnify it a million times over and people believe it. They're not acting because it's real to them. Okay, that's the key to getting a character over. With that said, bro, when they started putting so much freaking pressure on me 
to get ratings Probably at WCW. Phone. Bro, I never the wanted razor? to be a character on TV. I never had an, uh, no any intention of being a character TV. Me being a character on TV, bro, it started at the WWE. I'll tell you how it started, bro. They just started that show on Saturday mornings, Livewire. Bro, this is the God honest truth. So I watched Livewire. Bro, I thought the show sucked and was atrocious. Okay? I watched it the first week. Bro, I swear to you, the next week it was a Friday. Livewire was shot live on Saturday. Bro, I went in Vince's office and I said to him, flat out, I said, Vince, that show sucks. I, 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 I don't know what they're trying to do, but the show freaking sucks. Okay, bro? Bro, I swear to you, Vince McMahon looked at me and he goes, you think you could do better? Bro, with, 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 without even thinking, I said, yeah. I said, I know, I know I could do better. I said, the show sucks. Bro, Vince turned around to me and he said, okay, you show up at the studio tomorrow morning. We're going to put you on the show. I said, okay, no, no problem. Bro, I, do you think I thought Vince was going to say that? But I, I sure as hell wasn't going to back down. So I said, okay, no problem. Bro, we did the show the next day, the very next day, freaking live. We rehearsed nothing. I, I took on the Vic Venom persona, and I dressed down, you know, Michael Hayes, Chip Cornette, Vince McMahon, the whole freaking nine yards. Okay? Now, bro, fast forward to WCW. I, I did nothing else on TV at the WWE. That's it. I did nothing else. Fast forward to WCW, bro. They're putting so much freaking pressure on me because they want ratings overnight. So I literally said to myself, you want ratings overnight? Fine. No problem. I'll go out there and I'll freaking do it myself. That, that's what I said. My job was on the line, bro. I wasn't going to depend on anybody else. I, I wasn't going to depend on these guys making huge salaries, and a lot of them didn't give a shit. So I said, okay, fine. I'll, you are rating. I'll go out there and do it myself. So, bro. So, I mean, the clip goes on there from there, and um, uh, he just goes on to say how he tried to save WCW by bringing his face to the forefront. And uh, that was a fatal, a fatal error in every part of his thinking process. That was the one, well, not the one, that was one of a, a very many time where Vince Russo played it wrong. And we're going to get into that. So now we've now officially been segued into the WCW side of things thanks to Vince Russo. So, uh, WCW, he was there from 99 to 2000. Uh, on September 16th, 1999, him and Ed Ferreira both went over to WCW. Uh, Russo contends his reason for WWE leaving again was a dispute with Vince McMahon over the increased workload, and McMahon disregarded Russo's family. Uh, Russo's writing style at that point created a large turnover in title changes, reflected to his Crash TV philosophy, his booking of... A lot of people went very, very wrong. Um, and uh, it was just very, it was all back, it was all back and forth. It was a very increased amounts of sexuality, fake retirements, backstage vignettes, expanded storyline depth, uh, utilization of mid-card talent in a, in a more of effective manner, which was a good thing. But also, 
They also poked a lot of fun at WWF at the time. They did a lot of things where you kind of sat back and you're like, are we going back to like the Nacho Man like thing? Are we, yeah. are we doing this now? Are we going to pull our, our, our fingers to our foreheads and go, no, 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 boo-boo? Because that's what Basically. I think they, they tried to do. And it worked out very, very poorly. Um, and uh, we'll, uh, you know, we'll discuss a couple of things uh, in, more in depth here. Uh, so in 2000, Russo received two phone calls, one from Bret Hart, another from Jeff Jarrett. Both saying they were injured and they couldn't wrestle, and they had to force to vacate their respective championships. This required Russo to alter his plans for Hart and the New World Order. Russo and his booking committee sat down to determine what would happen. It sold out. One of them included putting the vacant uh, WWE title on a shoot fighter, Tank Abbott, a former UFC fighter, and it attempted to do something believable. The idea was originally to have a rumble match in which Sid Vicious would be an early entrant to the match. And then it would end with Abbott, who would come out into the match and eliminate him with one punch. Yeah, and then they ended up, for whatever reason, uh, I guess just because of how weird Scott Steiner was on the microphone, ended up going straight from Tank Abbott to uh, having Tank Abbott getting the crap kicked out of him by by, uh, by Scott Steiner. Well, that's that's where I'm going with this. Well, kind of where I'm going with this now. Russo claims that Abbott uh, wouldn't have held a title for more than 24 hours before the change occurred. Uh, however, the day after him and his committee came up with the idea... He was asked to work with the committee and no longer be a head writer. Uh, Russo declined the offer and left the company and was immediately replaced by Kevin Sullivan, who, along with other bookers, uh, chose Chris Benoit to win the title for Vicious uh, in a singles belt with Arn Anderson as the referee. Uh, three months after Russo's departure, Kevin Sullivan, Sullivan was ultimately revealed of his, relieved of his duties and Russo was reinstated as the booker alongside the returning Bischoff. The idea was that Russo and Bischoff would reboot WCW into a more modern, streamlined company and would allow younger talent to come forward. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. And Judy Bagwell. And, we uh, can't forget about her. We can't forget about Judy Bagwell. They don't really mention her here in the notes that I have. <laughs> but um, he did come up with a couple good ideas. Uh, there was the Millionaire's Club, the New Blood, which was kind of cool. Um, and there was a feud with Ric Flair and David Flair, which was not great on David Flair's part. Not so much Ric Flair's part. And then I guess you could say the final nail in the coffin was Batch of the Beat 2000. Uh, Russo was involved in an incident with Hogan. Hogan was booked to do a match against Jeff Jarrett at the time. Hogan refused to lose the match. As we already know, Hogan was a whiner too. Much like Bret Hart. You're not doing this to my character. It's not happening this way. No way, no way. Uh, and then he invoked his creative control clause to override Russo uh, due, due to Russo's apparent lack of direction for Hogan's character. In the end, Russo booked Jared to literally lie down for Hogan, which resulted in Hogan doing a work shoot on Russo, saying, the infamous, we've all seen this if you've watched any of the Monday Night Wars or the DVD, this is the classic line where Hogan said, um, uh, this is why the company's in damn shape it is because of bullshit like this. And scoring the pinfall victory, placing his foot on Jeff Jarrett's test, Russo would come out later and broadcast and nullify, and nullify the result of the match, and he publicly fired Hogan. The action resulted in the, in the restored the title back to Jarrett, and a new match was booked between Jarrett and Booker T, with uh, Booker T winning the match and the title. Uh, Russo prong promised Hogan would never resurface, so forth and so on. It was just a disaster upon a disaster at that point, but I already think it's when you bring a new captain onto an already sinking ship, there's so many holes to plug, so much water coming in. 
nobody could have saved that disaster. And that's the best part is that Vince very, Vince Russo very much dealt with real. He w- always wanted real. Like that was the thing when you talk to when I listen to any wrestler shoot on Vince Russo, they always talk about his uh, insatiable need for real. It's always wanting as real as humanly possible because right. that's the best way to get everything over. Right. Of course. So. What was the most unbelievable misconception about it that I found out later on was the fact that Vince was also in the ring doing a shoot on Hogan, in which everybody thought that that was actually real. They thought the shoot with Hogan was real, and they thought the shoot with Vince was real. And so literally everyone's misconception of it was the fact that these two really hate each other, and they actually really genuinely don't like each other whatsoever. The end game was for Vince Russo to actually save what was already happening because of apparently Hogan going in the back, and doing this creative control clause with his, his contract and everything like that. So he figured, okay, you know what? If this is the way that this is going to be, this is the best way that I can actually save this and make the segment actually really worth it and have people really like jump into this segment and emotionally attach themselves to it. Whereas Hogan even heard it. And even Hogan, it, it, the, only da- the only downfall of it was that Vince never mentioned any of that to Hulk Hogan before well, he left and got on the plane. Well, yeah, and I, I, these are the notes that I have here. So Hogan never resurfaced in WCW. He even filed a lawsuit against Russo for defamation of character. But that was dismissed in 2003, stating the files against Russo were groundless and were just part of a wrestling storyline. Hogan claimed in his autobiography, Hollywood Hulk Hogan, great title, uh, right. <laughs> that Russo turned the angle into a shoot and then he was double-crossed by Turner executive Brad Siegel who did not want to use him anymore due to his cost per appearance. Eric Bischoff states in his autobiography uh, Controversy Creates Cash that Hogan winning and leaving the title was a work which would result in, in return several months later when they were planning to crown a new champion at Halloween Havoc. Hogan would come out at the end of the show and ultimately win the champion versus champion match. Russo coming out to fire him was in fact a shoot which led to the lawsuit filed by Hogan. Bischoff claims that Hogan celebrated after the event over the angle, but was distraught when he got a phone call hearing hearing of Russo's in-ring shoot after Hogan left the arena. So, that's kind of everything you just kind of spoke about in a nutshell. Yeah, he apparently got on a plane and then got off the plane. He was celebrating and they were all celebrating. Hogan was just so elated with everything that just went down. And then apparently uh, got, got on the ground and then came to find everything that, uh, that came out of the work shoot of Vince going in the, in the middle of the ring. When that was also a work shoot. And you would think that the guy... Who yeah, but if you're going to shoot one way, shoot. you're going to shoot one way, tell the guy you're going to shoot this way, but then he's going to leave, and then you're going to shoot another fucking way. And that's, unfortunately, Vince Russo has always been his problem, is the fact that he's also an emotional guy, from what I understand, is works off of, based off of emotion, rather than the fact that, man, that whole thing could have been... It's like the Montreal screw job. That whole thing could have been figured out so easily had you just sat down in a room together and worked it out, and actually, like, really, like, talked it out. Yeah, <laughs> just be adults for once. Just be adults for once, you great force. So this <laughs> is another clip I'm going to play uh, of Ric Flair, semi kind of shooting on uh, his hatred for Vince Russo but also bringing Ed Ferreira to the forefront and all the kind of shenanigans and poking fun stuff that they did in WCW Mm -hmm. uh, against the WWE WWF if you want so listen to this one play about three minutes of this one tried to do a lot of humor based stuff and they just weren't funny And, and I said that at a production meeting you guys just aren't funny but they you know refused to believe that they thought they were you know, uh, Richard Pryor dipped in George Carlin, but they weren't funny. Case in point, there was a skit where Ed Ferrara, doing that Jim Ross impersonation, Oklahoma, got a jar of barbecue sauce and poured it down Medusa's cleavage. And I was supposed to think that that was uproariously funny. It wasn't funny at all. 
it was lascivious, but not in a, in a, in a sexy way, just in kind of a dirty way. And, and that was typical of some of the stuff that passed for humor on those shows, like Viagra on a pole, Judy Bagwell on a forklift. I, I mean, my God. I, and I don't want to rip like just Vince and Ed, because, you know, they did some good stuff too, but when they were in New York, they had an editor. And I think everything they did after they left New York proved they needed an editor. I personally didn't like that thing with Jim Ross. The uh, Who did? I, I don't know. I mean, I, when I watched that, I, I actually, it, it made me mad. Sure. Well, the point is, though, Rick, that's because, you know, you and I know Jim. Yeah. Although I know him a lot better now than I did then. In fact, I'm not proud to say there were a few off-the-cuff remarks I made, not on TV, but on the 900 number that, that I would take back now, years later, knowing Jim to be the great person he is. I've been on his podcast, and he's the greatest wrestling announcer in history, bar none. And, by the way, still should be doing it somewhere. I can't believe he's not. But uh, the point of it is, it just wasn't funny. Well, but I, mean, I just don't. The I, there's if no you do stuff that's humor based. It has to be funny because nothing's worse than something that's supposed to be funny that falls flat. Yeah, connection issue there. So I mean, I could go on and on and on about from there, but uh, it pretty much goes back and forth with Ric Flair just talking about the things that weren't funny and the things that they tried that failed miserably. And I mean, it, it's nice to have these clips to kind of show perspective on mm -hmm. a couple of things. It's nice to have these, these, even though we know that there's no love lost between Flair and Russo, we know that there's no love lost between Bischoff and Russo, we know that there's no love lost from a lot of people and Russo. A lot of people, you know, praise the guy a little bit, and then say he's the worst thing that ever happened. Cornette, in plain case, but Cornette came out in the early 90s with a tennis racket and thought he was great. Bruce Pritchard painted his face red, walked around saying, I love you, like... Right? But now you two are some of the biggest voices in wrestling. You're giving this new generation a perspective on what happened back in the day. But the thing is, there are fans like us who have been fans since the day we were born. And not to say we went deep down the rabbit hole in a couple things, but we just gained knowledge over the years. We've picked up, we've listened, we've understood. And we understand that you can't really blame one person for the downfall of WCW. Mm -hmm. And in the next clip I'm going to play... Now you like that segue that I did there. Right? I like it. The next clip I'm going to play is Kevin Nash talking about not so much Vince Russo at all. Very rarely in the clip does he mention Russo. But he actually mentions someone who seems to be left off the table. And that was Time Warner. Yep. And AOL. AOL. And he kind of breaks down exactly that they were actually the reason to blame for WCW. And when you hear what he has to say, it is surprising. It really is surprising. So listen, this is Kevin Nash shooting on the downfall of WCW. But in this clip, he does not mention Vince Russo. I think he mentioned him once. Not any more than that. He may not even mention him at all. But hang on. April 10th, 2000, Denver, Colorado. When Vince Russo and Eric Bischoff together reinvented Nitro. Right. And from there, after a pretty hot start with the new blood and the Millionaire's Club and whatnot, things really started to go south. And you, you were there for that, too. Tell us what it was like. You were there at, at the beginning of when we started to get hot. You rode the crest, and then you were there when we started to, to hit that downhill slide. Yeah. What happened? With them, number one, they, you, they took Eric out and they put some account in, whatever the hell that guy's Bill name. Bill Bush. Bill Bush. Yeah. Nice guy. Yes. You know, 
but I mean, yeah, I'm here the charisma of a, of a plastic plant. Not in danger of being an on-air talent. No, no. But uh, again, Kev, when things started to go south, what what was it like? I mean, you, it's it's easy to enjoy life backstage when when we're hot. But when I was like, it, it was it was like being in the business in in, in, in 1989 and 90 when you went to the Philadelphia. Civic Center, and it was like doing stand-up at a cruise ship. It was like fucking brutal. I mean, there was nothing but smart people in the crowd, and you could feel that it was it was over. I mean, the run was over, but, you know, every good thing comes to an end. You know? What would you have done differently? I mean, you weren't you weren't in a position of power at that point. If here Here's the magic power. What would you have done differently than what happened there? Put the belt on me. Fuck yeah, man. Um... Put the strap on me and give me a scout a raise. <laughs> um, was there anything that could have been done? You know what? It was, it, and I, I hate to make my second reference to, to, to President Kennedy's assassination, but you know, at that point, it's just like, you know, you're gonna go around and do a blood drive for the guy with his head, top of his head blown off, or you're just gonna fucking make him comfortable and let him fucking, you know? It was inevitable. We yeah, it was. When I, when, to me, when, when, when you lose the backing from the company, yes. when I sat there and talked to Brad Siegel and they had some, you know, uh, some feel-good movie that they had spent $45 million to make, and you know, they all felt good about it so they can jerk each other off the Cable Ace Awards that year. And I sat there at a table with them in Denver and I said, I said, you guys spent 40 or $45 million for a show that you'll play how many times a quarter? And he said, probably three times a quarter. I said, and you'll be happy if it does what? He said, we'll be happy if it does it too. I said, so inevitably, you're, you're going to get, if you're playing it three or four times a quarter, I said, you know, you're going you're to play this thing 16 times a year, and you're going to be happy if you get a two. We were still doing three threes, three fives to yeah. fours then yeah. for three hours of original programming for less than the cost of that. So are you in the business of actually doing programming? And then you say to yourself, oh, wait. This is TBS. This is the same channel that runs Dirty Dancing for fucking 24 hours. Like you're gonna watch it 16 times. You know? I mean, this is this, you're talking to these people. Then they go, "Gee, I wonder why Time Warner stock went from 112 bucks to six. Mm -hmm. Gee, I don't know. Maybe because you had a bunch of idiots running the company. You won't get an argument from me there. I mean, it's a, you know, it's one of those deals where you know people say, "What happened to WCW?" Fuck what happened to WCW. What happened to AOL Time Warner? Amen. I mean, the the, the company fucking imploded. Why wouldn't a Why would one subsidiary uh, be able to survive that? So that that clip, I really I wanted to play at the beginning of the show, but I couldn't because you needed to get there. You see what I'm saying? I had to go through all the other stuff to get there. Yep. But that that's the clip. That describes the whole this whole episode for me. And this is where I'm going to go on my five-minute rant. And then we're going to get into the last stages of Russo. And then we'll do the final thoughts on you and I before we wrap it up. Go for it. But just I go actually, with... I also have some some notes that I didn't... I, in our last episode, I didn't get a chance to actually to read simply because we were, we were you know, time crunch and you know, all kinds of stuff like that. Right. One so, that I skipped over. So do your thing. Do your, do your let rant. Let me do this. We'll go through the rest of Russo and then... You can read your notes that you never got to, and then yeah, we'll because it ties into the, the AOL. Okay, the AOL Time Warner. So let me do my. I'll go for my five minutes. I'll give you five minutes, then we'll finish off the rest of Russo's life. And I got one clip to play uh, that I love, and it's called Russo: Why He's Hated So Much from Russo's mouth. Right so uh, think about this for a second. You want to sit there and put the blame on the NWO storyline running too long? 
You want to sit there and put the blame on Vince Russo coming in and all stuff. You want to put the blame on the Hogan thing. Is it a work? Was it a work? Was it the new kayfabe? Whatever have you. But the fact of the matter remains, the minute that Turner Entertainment or TNN turned their, uh, their, they sold everything to Time Warner, people who weren't involved in the business came into the business. Money crunchers, accountants, guys who never, never picked up a microphone in their life or slammed a body into the floor. Knew nothing about the business, but it's here. Save it. Make us money. Mm-hmm. They're number crunchers at the end of the day. A number cruncher doesn't know how to make you money. He knows how to save you money. They cut corners. They drop the production value dramatically. And they let everything run wild. And then you hear about a guy named Vince Russo and what he did over here. Well, let's bring him in over here. The ship's already sinking, idiots. So how can you blame a guy? And this is surprising coming from me because I blamed Russo for a lot of years. But upon doing my research, my opinion changed. Mm -hmm. I don't believe... It was all Russo's fault. Oh, yeah. I believe that it was mostly... I'm I'm wrapping up. My final point's coming. I believe that it was the fact that you had near the end, that last year before the sale to Vince McMahon to uh, help AOL stay afloat before they completely imploded. It wasn't Russo's fault. I firmly believe... That Turner already knew he was failing, which is why everything got absolved to AOL. And then AOL came in, tried to think that they could compete, but at the time they also didn't care. And if you go back to the DVD, it clearly states that they didn't care. And they knew that they didn't care. They didn't want this product on their network. They were trying to go family friendly. But you spent 45 mil on a family friendly movie, and Nash is right. I remember TBS back in those days. They did run Dirty Dancing nearly all the time. Mm-hmm. Every other weekend, you saw Patrick Swayze. Yep. And it's like, what the hell is happening? <laughs> Dirty I, Dancing or Roadhouse? Hey, hold on now. Roadhouse is Roadhouse is a goddamn classic. <laughs> I won't. I won't let you take that away from me. Okay. But <laughs> they, they just played it a lot. They did Roundhouse. Okay. They did. But but the point I'm, I'm trying to make is I don't think we can squarely. I'm going to put 15 percent of what happened to WCW on Russo. Because it was really bad writing. The Oklahoma stick, I remember that. The barbecue sauce down the boobs. Judy Bagwell on a forklift. It was a joke. And it's because they didn't have the filter. They didn't have the editor, who they didn't want to name. But the editor was Vince McMahon. Mm-hmm. Russo and Ferrer would bring their ideas. And Vince McMahon would go, nope, 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 nope. Make a note here. Change this. Drop the A. Create. Add the T. That's a hit. That's what Vince McMahon does. Yep. But Vince McMahon wasn't the idea guy. But Vince McMahon was the execution guy. He knew how to take these jumbled up storylines from these two buffoons and make them into something great. But over here, you didn't have that. You had these two buffoons given an already sinking ship. So I'm not going to put everything on Russo. And this is a bitter pill for me to swallow because I wanted to really roast this jackass today. You did. I remember weeks for weeks I was so passionate. You've been waiting for this day. But you know what? Upon doing my research, I indirectly blame this guy for 95% of it. I'm going to give him 15. The other 85 was because of bad business decisions and bad businessmen. And that's the point. Mm-hmm. That's my rant. We're definitely close to being overtime. I'll give you a couple minutes to read your notes. Then we're going to sure. go through the rest of Russo and wrap up this clip. But sure. before I pass over to Steve, I want to stress to all the listeners out there. It's not all Russo's fault. That's all I'm going to leave. Steve, go ahead. 
Dude, I love it because you know what? It's it's the fact that like um, a lot of times um, we live in it. We, we, you know what? This is a really just great life lesson for people to really understand because of the fact that um, most conversations and it's almost every conversation that I get into with people, it's um, the the constant need to be right and it's the constant need to stick to your guns on whatever belief level you have and even if you presented with new information right. that clearly contradicts every single thing that you have once believed that maybe will push you into another belief level, a different belief level, right, then yeah. there's an ability to be able to do that and it's ability to be able to actually admit that and it's okay to admit that you're moving in a different direction. It's a bitter pill for me to swallow. Though. You've heard something new that actually altered that and made you feel a different way about it. And it's I feel like that's pill. a that's a life lesson that's straight up like a lot of people could really, really learn from and really understand. But it's still a bitter um, pill. And yeah, a lot of times bitter pill to swallow. And you know what? It was the same thing like when last week, because this ties into actually even in our in our last episode, and uh, in, in one of our previous episodes, uh, the new kayfabe, you can catch it on, on all our platforms, um, was when we, uh, we had talked about the concept that uh, in my notes that I had had that the company was literally done long before Russo arrived. The last Monday Night War they won was September 98 when Flair came back. That was one full year before Vince Russo showed up. So they had lost the war a year before Vince had actually even showed up at that time. And they blame it on a lot of things like what killed the company was that they never made new stars and that people loved Hogan, Goldberg, Nash, and all those guys, and then they eventually got tired of it. But the thing that really killed it, and which is why I got so interested in the fact that I'm like, oh yes, I didn't actually get a chance to get around to because of the time crunch, because of a lot of things, did not get a chance to actually get to this, that the main thing that did kill... WCW, in fact, was AOL and Time Warner, and that was the biggest factor of what killed WCW, and that WWF was on the USA Network and TNN, now Spike, that they could get away with this racy and crude stuff, that that was where that they were capable of but doing But because that. Time Warner was family-friendly, yeah. you couldn't do it anymore. You couldn't do that stuff anymore. It's anymore. like now with, with this PG nonsense that we're in, because all the sponsors are family-friendly. How can you go out there and have a girl making out with three guys in a ring, exactly. or boobs on a hand, when you've got sponsors like Rocket League? Exactly. Or Snickers. And you think so, Snickers wants their name associated with a menage a trois in a ring or a penis getting cut off? Exactly. No. So you want to blame anybody. Sorry, but I got I to gotta go here for a second. You want to blame anybody. Don't blame Vince McMahon. Don't blame the PG era. You, you blame, blame the, the sponsors. That, that blame the, the goddamn out. fucking businessmen. The guys that bought the company out and that absolutely uh, suck at running things. And uh, the fact that they, the, the biggest blame of all can go to the fact that why in the world would you ever give a company to someone that doesn't know anything about the company that they're buying? It's a very strange thing to do. But however, it also goes back to what we were talking about also in the new Kayfabe episode. In the sense that, why would you give a company to somebody who doesn't know anything about the company unless you actually are at the end of it? And you already know when you look at the facts, figures, all the ratings, you look at everything that's going on with it. Mm -hmm. That you know it's going under... That you could have killed it actually at that time, but in actuality, we need to run these guys out a little bit longer because we need more room and time to build these guys over. Or we need company. Vince McMahon to buy it at a cheaper price. And we need Vince McMahon to buy it all at a cheaper price. And that's what it really comes down to: is run the company so far into the ground that this is, ladies and gentlemen, once again, this is just you know kind of you know that 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 questionable just. Literally sitting, questioning, wondering, because it's a very distinct possibility. It's a very unbelievable possibility, as a matter of fact, that it's glaringly obvious 
that that's what ended up happening, that uh, the cause and death of WCW was very simply because it was supposed to be run into the ground for the fact that you buy it out with a family-friendly company, and now you get to a point where it's so abrasive and so ridiculous that you have no choice, that you have to put it into the ground, even though you could have done that a year and a half ago, and now you get to this place where it's so unbelievably atrocious, nobody's going to want to touch it, and you make it so ridiculous to the point where, and I have this... Uh, I have this in my notes, as a matter of fact. Oh, well, uh, I, I just remember off the top of my head, as a matter of fact, that uh, they, that you, they, they, they took the company and made it so much so that they, it was unairable, that they couldn't actually air. They had no place to air the company. So now, what do you do? You sell it off to a guy that is just very simply buying it at the cheapest price you can possibly imagine it, and it was supposed to be bought out by Vince McMahon literally the entire time. Yeah, when he bought it, he bought it at an undervalued rate, not what it was valued at. Most companies, when they're sold right before they go belly up, they're sold yeah. at what they're valued at. He bought it for what he valued it at. Yeah. And Time Warner, because they were trying to scoop water out of the sick and ship. Exactly. They just sold it. Exactly. They just sold it. So, I mean, take it how you want to take it, guys. We're not here to, you know, force our opinions on anybody. If you listen, you listen. If you don't, you don't. But the fact is, can't hold Vince Russo accountable for anything. So, uh, I just want to go into a couple of things. Uh, return to WWE briefly, Russo, in the mid-2000s. But quickly, after saying there was no way in the world that this thing was going to work out, major story that he proposed was to an entire restart of the WCW invasion, featuring previously unassigned talent like Bill Goldberg, Scott Steiner, Eric Bischoff, and Bret Hart. Feeling disrespected by a phone call with Stephanie McMahon, Russo left on his own accord after turning down $125,000 per year to stay at home advisory role in a favor to $100,000 per year full-time position with TNA. This leads us to TNA where he wrote and power struggled from 2002 to 2004. Uh, He had a little bit of an on-screen run. I'm not even going to get into it because TNA sucks. Uh, Returned as a creative writer to 2006 to 2012 at TNA. And then he secretly returned again in 2014. But at this point, he was just a consultant. He was not anything associated with writing. And then recently, uh, 2017 to 2018, to uh, R.O. Lucha, a small indie promotion out of Nashville, Tennessee, um, where he's worked with Jason Brown, who's their CEO. Um, And he also... uh, It's just horrible. You know, at the end of the day, he's one of the most controversial figures in pro wrestling history. Love him or hate him. Disrespect him or respect him. Um, And for me, myself, big, big naysayer, big non-Vince Russo supporter. But doing the research that I did, I'm not going to hold him accountable for everything. There's a lot of curtain that hasn't been pulled back fully. And upon our discussions of the what-ifs, which led to the new kayfabe, which ultimately led us to Vince Russo, uh, because we went so far down the rabbit hole. I'm exhausted. But at the same time, I got a lot off my chest. So I've cleared Vince Russo of all wrongdoing with Owen Hart, in my own opinion. Uh, I've cleared Vince Russo of uh, destroying wrestling because at the end, like you said, it was already sinking. Like we both said, it was already done. Yeah. And Time Warner bought it off of uh, Turner for what, what? Turner made a crap ton of money. Yeah. For what? Like, yeah, he put in, but he made money while it was hot. And then he still made a decent chunk of change. And then Time Warner went and sold it to Vince McMahon at a 65% discount from what they bought it from Turner. So yeah. Time Warner 
lost huge. They bought it from Turner at this amount of money, which I don't even know the sum. I tried to find it on the internet, but there's too many idiosyncrasies, too many differences in what the sum was. Yeah, it was somewhere somewhere in the millions. It was somewhere in the close Bischoff, to... Even when Bischoff, when he was going to buy it. He was right going to buy it. It was at, close at to 40, end. I want to say somewhere between 40 and 60 million was what Something they were valuing like it at. And then they went and sold that to Turner. So Turner's like, cool. Thank you. I'll take my 60 mil. I'm out the door. If, even if that's the number. Yeah. And then Vince McMahon, apparently when he bought it, he bought it somewhere between 20 to $10 million. And they sold it to him over Bischoff. Because at that point, they just wanted out. Time Warner was so far in the tank themselves. They yeah. needed this money to try to keep themselves afloat. And two years to the day of selling WCW, they're almost non-existent. Time Warner is very, very small form. I don't even... I think the company was bought and sold in pieces. Yeah. So you can... Take a lot of things that you want to take it, but what really was the fault of destroying WCW was bad business decisions. Those are that's that's the words. Bad business decisions. BBDs. Mm-hmm. A lot of BBDs were made in that last year and a half of WCW's lifeline, which ultimately closed the doors. Yep. And if it wasn't for that, I don't know who would have won the war. And I don't even want to go on that what if. Because that what if changes the landscape of everything yeah, that we know and love. I, I think this just honestly just answers a lot of the questions about Vince Russo for people that just genuinely just want to pin the blame on Vince Russo. Because you got to have really somebody to blame, to right? You got to have that scapegoat, and that's and that's the best part is the fact of what I was just about to say is the fact that like they just they, there's so much of an ability to be able to just very simply only take the one thing and just kind of blame it on the one thing. Where in actuality, there's a lot of compartmentalization that really goes on with um, a lot of that of compartmentalizing. That really just, yeah, college words. College words. College words, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. That oh, really tell, just, that, before you get into your rant, tell people that you looked up, a, a, what was it, buffoonious or whatever it was, and it's actually a word? Oh, yeah, yeah. Of, uh, I, I, looked up, uh, I looked up braggadocious, and it's actually um, an adjective that means uh, boastful. <laughs> so, okay, it's a word. So braggadocious, bro. Braggadocious, bro. It's actually, I'm not that's, being that's braggadocious. <laughs> Sorry, I cut you off. Go ahead, no, finish your thing, and then I'm going to play this clip to get us out of here. Absolutely no worries, bro. This has been a great conversation. And, and to add just one more bro to like all the amounts bro. of bros, bro. bros, bros that bro. we've listening to all day. But the fact that, like, straight up, um, bro... I know for a fact that uh, Vince Russo just was a guy, just went, from what I listened to, and got a got a pretty good idea for when I'm listening to somebody of the amount of real and the amount of the and amazing amount of fake that I've listened to from a human being. That it's very, though, when you really pay attention to that kind in, in human psychology of really listening to that, of being able to understand that, the, the, the dialogue in which you're actually, pick apart the dialogue in which you're actually listening to, it's very easy to spot that uh, Vince Russo just is a guy that obviously he means really well. Sometimes just has some bad ideas, just like the rest of us. Um, but at the exact same time, um, he's not the only... Bottom line about Vince Russo is he's not the only one to blame for Gotta things blame going BBDs, wrong man. within any of those companies. He's just one part of what could have potentially gone wrong from an idea that came from somebody else to bring him in, knowing that of the backgrounds that he's had and knowing that the the sinking ships that he's been a part of and things like that, but yet still continues to be entrusted when in a working world, those kinds of people would not be trusted. So therefore, as far as if you have a logical business sense about your, your boss, you'd really truly understand that about your company. So I feel like it has a lot more to do with the bosses of the hiring and the people behind the scenes. And you could, you could put a lot of blame on, on multi done different people rather than just putting the blame solely on Vince Russo. Yeah, absolutely. So before I play this final clip on Vince Russo and why he's hated so much, 
a couple quick notes to make. Next week's episode is episode number 54, and we are going to be doing the mid-carders that were thrust into the main event, and the mid-carders that should have been in the main event, but never were. Oh man, this is going to be such a great episode. You we guys picked, definitely got to tune in for that one. We picked six wrestlers that we're going to discuss, not really break down in any kind of career profile, but we're going to discuss how they were kind of thrust in because of popularity and other things, and how guys were, were better in-ring performers, but never got their fair shake. So it's going to be a very cool episode to kind of break down. And right after that, we're rolling into September at that point, and Steve's going to rock us out with his career, or his uh, superstar profile for September, and that's going to be... The Ultimate Warrior, everybody. That's going to be awesome, because that's one of my that's one of my favorites, too. So I'm looking forward to seeing uh, the research that's going to come out of that. And hopefully, much like you did with Owen Hart, I'll learn something new. And also for myself, too, he's a very controversial, controversial dude. Has been like, the oh my goodness, the spotlight of so much controversy, particularly with just his wacky, crazy promos, his wacky, crazy mind behind the scenes. Is everything about being wacky and crazy, so as far as I'm concerned, this is going to be a really wacky, crazy episode. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be great. And then, obviously, we won't reveal too much in September, because we've got some tidbits, we've got some possible guest appearances, some really cool cats coming local oh, from man. where we're at. So <laughs> we got we're not, lots we, of cool stuff for you guys gonna, coming up We're not going to get into it, though, because we want to keep it a secret. We want you coming back for more and salivating. Right. So, um, right before Vince Russo plays us out on why he's hated so much, don't forget to go back and listen to all our episodes up until uh, starting from episode 21 to where we are now at episode 53 go back listen enjoy especially i want to say the last six or seven because that's when the research has kind of taken a new shape and form go back and listen to this holy trinity that we've done which is what if the new kayfabe to vince russo i'm exhausted from all this research that we've done but it's been great conversations and uh, awesome conversation we appreciate all the love and support that we've been getting and don't forget guys a lot of times we say this and nobody does it follow us on twitter Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Facebook. Give us your show ideas. Give us your tidbits. Tell us what you like, what you don't like. Maybe you don't like my voice. Maybe you don't like Stevie Animal's face. I don't know. Just just love or hate us. Let us know. What's going I'm on? I'm positive they don't like my face. You so have a face I want to know radio. about it. You guys tell me about it. Tell me about that in the comment section. Either you got Twitter, a face Facebook, for radio. Instagram. Let me know, man. I'll change it. I promise. I'll get plastic surgery. I'll make it happen. All right. Here, right before we play out our intro, here is Vince Russo on why he's hated so damn much. Why did you put the uh, WCW title on yourself and never lose it to a wrestler? Uh, again, it, it, it was the shock value of Vince Russo having the WCW title. And, it, and if you remember how I won it, I got speared through a cage by right. Goldberg. I was the first to leave the cage, which left me in a heap as, as a shoot physically. So again, it was the shock of Vince Russo winning the WCW, getting the people to talk again, okay? That WCW belt had no place around my waist. I didn't want it around my waist. I just wanted, again, people talking about that egomaniac Vince Russo put the belt on himself, okay? So that's why basically we did it, get the people talking, and then the following day it was on somebody else. Did you ever hear any of the guys in the back saying, oh, this is bullshit? No, bro, because you never hear that stuff to you. Right. You always hear behind your back. And, and, and I got to be honest with you. The heat I have in this business with the boys, if you want to go down the list of people that hate me, the reason they hate me is because I told them things they didn't want to hear. I never once in my life lied to any one of the boys, and with that comes telling them things that they don't want to hear. Okay, And if I have any heat 
with anybody in this business. It was because I was honest with them and I told them something they didn't want to hear. And you know what? That's fine with me. You know, if a guy like Bradshaw wants to hate my guts, that's fine with me because I know in my heart Every day I work with this guy, I was absolutely honest with him. If he wants to hate me for that, then so be it. Because the bottom line is, I can look at my, my boys tomorrow, and I can look at my kids tomorrow, and I can know I did the right thing. So again, that's where the heat comes from in this business, is being honest. I'll say what I always say. And, and, and again, this, this is what I take heat for. And that's fine because I have my own philosophies and my own opinions. If you want to see wrestling, go to your high school or go to go to, go to the local college. You could see 20, 30-minute matches of, of, of great, great wrestling. When I'm watching television, I want to be entertained. That's my philosophy. Okay? I've, you, I'm begging you to show me one wrestling fan who hasn't seen every move. Okay? Yes, yeah, some guys are better than others, but we've seen it all. Okay? My philosophy and my opinion is I want to be entertained. Putting out FPR on TV, was that. And you couldn't really put it any better yourself from his own mouth why he's hated. He was honest and he wants to be entertained. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That is our our whole breakdown of the man that is known as Vince Russo. Did he destroy wrestling? Did he save wrestling? The opinion, we're going to leave that up to you guys. But I think we've got this little ghost off our back, more so myself. Yeah, he's a guy with some good ideas and and a guy with some really bad ideas. And I feel like, honestly, you could really chalk that up for a lot of the human race in general. That it really is just a lot of the... one, One speck of the human race that got hired to save, that got entrusted... A long time ago to save the wrestling industry when in actuality he just turned out to be a guy with some ideas, some good ideas and some bad ideas. And that's just naturally, that's just the way things played out for him. Well, I'll leave you with one line before we go. Judy Bagwell on a forklift. Judy Bagwell on a forklift match. That's it. That's all the time we got for today's guys. Don't forget to tune in next week where we discuss the mid-carters that were thrust into the main spotlight and the mid-carters that never had the ability. And after that, Ultimate Warrior career profile for our September career profile. It's going to be another great couple of weeks. So stay tuned. As always, I am your host with the most, George McKay. I'm Steve the Animal Mitchell, everyone. We'll catch you guys next week. Don't forget all our episodes are all on all our platforms. You're going to hear that at the outro. And we're on every Friday night, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Take it easy, guys. Later, guys. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Catch us every Wednesday at 7.30 on Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Also, be sure to follow us on our social media platforms, Facebook and Instagram at Straight Talk Wrestling and Twitter at underscore Straight Talk. some car repairs to do, but I could only pay for half of them. Brokers Lamina at 1-800-NEW-CREDIT made the difference between stressed out driving and a smooth ride to work. Mark went the extra mile on his repairs with a loan from Brokers Lamina at 1-800-NEW-CREDIT. It's easy to apply over the phone or online at Lamina.ca. Get approved instantly up to $1,000 with no documents or credit checks and pay back over three to five months. Spice up your week and call 1-800-NEW-CREDIT or apply online at Lamina.ca. Lamina.ca.